This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired. Welcome back. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Christine and I were like, I'm starting. You're, we both starting. <laughs> go go for it, right? You got this. Welcome back. We're, uh, Christina is uh, with her family out on the East Coast, so we are doing this remotely. Uh, but welcome back to the Confident Collective Podcast. How's everybody doing? Um, Christina, how are you doing? I'm good. Oh my gosh. Like, honestly, being home just feels so nice to see my family and everything, but there's just... I'm sure you feel like this too. Whenever you go back to Denver, there's so many people to see, so many things to do, and it's like a little bit overwhelming. So I'm trying to like soak every moment in and just enjoy it as much as possible. Yeah, don't spread yourself too thin. You, yeah, it's okay if you aren't able to see everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I'm starting to realize that, guys. I'm so excited for this conversation that you're about to listen to. It was one that it, it really means a lot to me, as you'll hear. Um, it's definitely something very, very personal. I've been talking about having mom brain since before I even had the baby, actually. Yeah. And it's like something that everyone just kind of jokes around about. And then actually, um, one of my followers on Instagram messaged me about this woman, Dr. Kakaya, that she works with, who is a licensed psychotherapist. She is a neuroscientist and she's been practicing psychotherapy since 1985. She specializes in cross-cultural issues, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, ADHD, PTSD, traumatic brain injuries. Pretty much she's like the master of the brain. And finally, Parnaz, who is someone who listens to me on Instagram, was like, you need to have Dr. Kakaya on. She is so smart. She's so funny. And she will help you understand the brain in a way that you never thought about it. And I was like, right, we need to have her on. I was like, this is so important to me. And I honestly didn't realize until like we were halfway through speaking to Dr. Kakaya, like how deep my brain concerns really are. Yeah, it was. I saw you kind of have that realization and you just like released it and let it out. Like this thing that you've clearly been holding on to. And I think that that was like a a big breakthrough for you Um, and really, really going to be important on like your journey to kind of figuring out your brain health. Um, Because uh, as you'll hear in this episode, Dr. K is so full of knowledge on our brains. She says it's the CEO Mm -hmm. of the body and we take care of our bodies. We go to the gym, we nourish our bodies, but we kind of forget about taking care of our brain. Um, So this whole episode is on that. I mean, how many times have you gotten a facial but never once thought about your brain? Mm-hmm. I know I'm so guilty of that. I'm sure most of our listeners are. So I'm so thankful for this episode and Dr. Kai's time. And I hope that you guys really take the time to listen and soak everything in because I think this episode will be extremely helpful um, no matter what you're going through. Yes. So we're just going to jump right into this one because she has so much to share. And I, we know that this is going to be so beneficial to you um, because we cannot, cannot, cannot forget to take care of our brains. Just like go and get a massage, go into the gym. Let's take care of our brains. So with that, we are just going to jump right into this episode and welcome Dr. K to the podcast. 
All right, everyone. We are so excited to welcome Dr. Kakaya. Thank you so much for joining Rayanne and I. This is an episode that I am so excited about, but also like full disclaimer, literally had no knowledge about brain health. And I'm so happy to have be here because it is something that I'm so concerned about and something so curious about. And we are so happy to have you as an expert on. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to be on. And I'm hoping that I increase everybody's awareness just a tiny bit about the brain, which is huge, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Christina. Yeah. No, I think you'll have so much valuable information to share. So just to get started, can you just tell us what is neurofeedback? So neurofeedback, it's so fast. I mean, neurofeedback is, think about neurofeedback as physical therapy for the brain. That's kind of like the easiest way to think about it. And neurofeedback is a brain treatment where what we do is we place sensors on different regions of the brain. You sit in front of this computer screen. There's a teddy bear on your lap and there's a visual screen. And we've located regions of the brain through some testing that we do, we've located regions of the brain that may be a little bit off balance. And what we do with neurofeedback is we nudge the brain to go into that more optimum brain state. The brain is very capable of doing that. The brain wants to be well. Uh, And that's why when we do meditation or we do exercise or we do deep breathing, all of that helps the brain. So neurofeedback is a treatment modality that regulates the brain naturally. So it's a very powerful alternative to a lot of uh, psychiatric medications that people tend to be on. So it's, it's, you know, there's no side effects or anything like that because with psych meds, you can have so many side effects. So what is your overall then approach to holistic wellness when it comes to the brain versus, um, you know, traditional medicines? And, and, why, and why, why is that your approach with neurofeedback? So see, so my background, so I'm a licensed psychologist and I have a postdoctoral degree that's a master of science in psychopharmacology. Okay. So what that did for me is it really trained me in being able to prescribe meds if I wanted to. One of the things Mm -hmm. I saw as I went through that training is really learned so much about the negative side effects. And so what I decided to do is really kind of move towards more integrative brain health, integrative wellness. And there's really, you know, our country is kind of like obsessed with a quick fix. So we want that pill, we want one pill to fix it all. And as a result, we create all these secondary complications that really affect our metabolic health, um, you know, those kinds of things. So, So when I became an integrative psychologist, what I began to do is really coach people to look at ways in which, so the kind of nutrition we eat, makes a huge impact on the brain, right? You want your greens, you really want food. I always talk about food as like eating all colors of the rainbow. You want your plate to be filled. And then um, meditation is huge. The The brain really likes it. when you, Even if we just do some deep breath work for like five minutes, research, research has shown that six weeks of like a 20-minute meditation impacts the brain so significantly like 20 minutes at a time meditation i know and that like you're like how do i do that i find so i've like tried to get into meditation because obviously i've heard and like 
I'm like, okay, this has, there has to be something to this because all of these people who are way smarter than me are telling me that, but I, 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 I struggle with it. And I'm like, even doing like three minutes, I'm like, Whoa, that was, that was hard. So, you know, what I do, Rianne is I tell my patients five minutes a day is what you do. And if you're able to do five minutes of meditation a day, I want you to start calling yourself a meditator. Because guess what happens when you're like out and about and you say to somebody, they say, oh, yeah, I meditate. And you go, I'm a meditator, too. So you're reinforcing your brain because you are having that discipline for five minutes. Do you know how incredibly difficult it is in today's world for us to settle down for five minutes of freaking quiet? You know, it's so tough. So when you can do it for five minutes, consider that like a huge gift for yourself. And then that five minutes will lead to six minutes eventually. And then it might lead to seven. And if you just do seven minutes a day, that still impacts the brain positively. Mm-hmm. We ideally aim for 20 minutes. We always, you know, raise the bar a little bit high. But even five to seven minutes makes a lovely impact on the brain. And what does it, and I don't know if you can articulate it. So what does actually sitting there meditating for five minutes or 20 minutes a day what does that actually do? To the brain. Okay. To the brain, yes. To the brain. Okay. So what we have is we have these brain wave patterns. We've got about six different brain wave patterns in our brain. There's delta, theta, uh, beta, high beta, SMR, uh, gamma. So these are the different brain wave patterns we have in the brain. Um, brain imbalance actually means that in a region where you should have a lot of uh, SMR, you're not getting enough SMR. You ha- you're having too much beta. You're having too much high beta. So when you actually meditate, what you're doing, and my meditation is like super simple where, you know, I'll just sit and I'll focus on my breath. And if I get like, which my brain never calms down because it's always like going. So a thought comes in. And what I do is I take that thought and I put it on a leaf and I send it down the river, right? So what I'm doing with that is I'm just really teaching my brain to experience a little bit of a nudge from me, a little bit of control from me, a little bit of discipline from me. So what happens in the brain when you actively engage and you calm a thought and you send a brain a thought away you're actually reducing some of those high beta brain waves and bringing in more of the alpha which is your calming brain wave that's what you're doing Mm. you're actually changing the waves of your brain around which is so exciting when when we know we can do that it's like really empowering for us that i am capable of changing my own brain wave activity that's so interesting because like you can go to the gym, right? And lift some weight and you yeah. know that you're impacting your, yeah. your muscles and you're making That's them right. bigger. So to think of like meditation and that sort of format actually like really helps me a lot to be like, okay, mm-hmm. like this five minutes is actually changing and doing something. Yes. And what it's um, actually doing is it, it's increasing the strength of that muscle because you want to think about the brain as a muscle. And what neurofeedback does is neurofeedback trains that brain to have it become a stronger muscle. And the meditation increases, like, you know, when you're doing your uh, uh, arm lifts or whatever you're doing, it increases the strength of that muscle in the same way. And then the brain is really the CEO of the whole body, right? It's a three and a half pound organ, 
that literally controls our whole body. That's crazy. And I'm so guilty of like taking care of my like physical, like going to the gym, making time for this. But then it's like, I think so many people completely forget about that and like, oh, I don't need to do that. It's fine. And it's like so crazy because we all have five minutes, but I seem to always not be able to find it. I mean, the truth is, if you're doing like a 10 step skincare routine, you have the time to meditate for five minutes, too, right? <laughs> you are so right, Christina. <laughs> but, but I honestly, I really, cha- I really struggle with this. And I know that you said that you, um, you simplify meditation and you kind of just sit there with your thoughts and breathe, right? But for someone who is maybe trying to get into it, like for me, like I downloaded Headspace, I tried to meditate here and there. Um, but I find it very difficult. Are are there certain like intro meditation practices that you think for someone who's never done it before that they can easily apply? <laughs> In my bookshelf at home, I have seven different meditation books on how to meditate. <laughs> One of my classic procrastination devices before I began working was to buy a book on, on how to meditate. And then buy another book on how to meditate. Then I'd buy a third book on how to meditate. We all are guilty of that, right? Uh-huh. The simplest thing you do is you just focus on your breath. You take okay. a breath in for like six and then take a breath out for eight. Take a breath in for six. I think we all all have a mantra. You know, you might have a particular, like if you use, you know, Om Namah Shivaya, or you have any particular mantra that comes into your mind, just say that again and again. And your mantra could be, uh, creation is beautiful. It could be anything. You just find a repetitive word that you can say again and again. That helps people too a lot. And just focus on the breath and say a repetitive word. So I think, uh, you know, there's, like, look at all the all the apps we have. The reason why we have so many different types of apps for meditation is because everybody thinks that there's one magical way to medica- meditate. Mm-hmm. The only magical way to meditate is set up one. I like it because the brain likes consistency. The brain always gets happy with consistency, right? Mm-hmm. So if you say to yourself every morning after I've had my coffee, I've gone to the bathroom, then I'm going to sit down for five minutes. So there's a set, like it's a routine, kind of like how we have our facial routine. There's a routine you have where you just sit down for five minutes and you just do your breath. That's it. But the consistency is something the brain really likes. So more than the type of meditation, I'm much more about being able to do it at the same time uh, every day. Then it becomes a part of your routine and it becomes a, and you you could be waiting to like, you know, pick up your kids from someplace and you're in the car. You can do five minutes in the car, turn everything off. Mm -hmm. Don't have to scroll on anything. Turn everything off and just sit down for five minutes. Do you just like set a timer? You're just like, set a timer for five minutes because I'm like oh because I'll be sitting there and I'll be like how long has it been yeah Yeah. I know I know I know I've always had a timer yeah it helps me to have a timer it really helps me to have a timer because I think it makes a difference when you have a timer because you know there's a beginning and an end otherwise you're in that torture zone and you don't want to be in the torture zone when you're trying to be nice to your brain you know yes exactly absolutely Um, so I know you mentioned that there are certain foods and you Nutrition is a big part of brain health. So what are some foods that are really great that can help with your overall brain health and some foods that we should avoid? The thing to think about with the brain is Mm -hmm. um, any energy we consume, any calories we consume, 20% of the food we eat in a day goes to the brain. Out of all the organs in our body, the brain is the most metabolically uh, active organ of the body. 
it uses the most amount of energy. So that's one thing to keep in mind. So when you're eating, you're like, mm, how's this for my brain? Is it good for my brain or is it not good for my brain? I want us to start asking that because right now we'll say, is this good for my belly? Is it not? If you're doing gluten-free, you might do this. So, you know, those kinds of things. So be a, a mindset where you say, I'm doing nourishment for my brain also begins to start to look at the food you have on your plate in that slightly different perspective. So foods that are rich in fats, important. This low-fat garbage we have going on is the worst thing you do for our brain. I kid you not, okay? The brain I love is, to hear that. <laughs> the brain, oh yeah. And we women, we mm -hmm. get so much freaking, up, uh, um, we're so oppressed by all of these rules that we're given about what we should eat and shouldn't eat and all of that. And and one of the biggest factors where we deprive our brain is when we don't give ourselves fats, healthy fats, olive oils, your uh, your um, uh, butters, your avocados, you know, those are all really like kind of like your Mediterranean diet. If you think about the Mediterranean diet, that tends to be the most optimum for the brain fish, omega-3s. And if you don't eat fish, I'm usually really, I I kind of like, I like people to take omega-3 supplements. It's like a really big, big thing that I usually suggest to all my patients. And the other thing that I like folks to take are vitamin D supplements, because as much as, you know, we live in regions where there's a lot of sun and everything, most of us tend to be vitamin D deficient because we put sunscreen on we get, when we get out and everything. So we're not getting that natural light. Now, vitamin D is a master hormone. It's not a vitamin. It's a master hormone that actually controls the whole body. It controls all the other hormones. So in your foods, you want to make sure you're getting the vitamin D. You want to get nuts. Walnuts are one of the best foods for the brain. Think about the shape of a walnut. It looks like a brain. Shaped like a brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's like such a miracle of nature if you think about it, right? berries are really good for the brain darker berries so blueberries blackberries berries are really good for the brain now what happens when we eat good you know foods with good omega-3s good fats lots of greens uh, fish um, veggies and you have and, and really I'm not a believer at all of like cutting out any food groups that's just an unhealthy thing for us to do but, you know, keeping our sugars minimal, keeping your uh, your breads minimal, you know, processed foods and things like that. Keeping processed foods, by the way, guys, processed foods are one of the worst things for the brain. Brain does not like it. Mm. If I'm ever treating any kids that come to me for ADHD, one of the first things I'll do, because I treat a lot of kiddos with ADHD, one of the first things I'll do is I'll ask the parents, what kind of food does the kid eat? And I'll also ask a lot of questions about the sleep because the sleep makes a huge difference too. So in terms of the food, you kind of want to eat all colors of the rainbow. You also want to make sure that you're eating, you're not, you know, going too many hours without eating because again, that's not good for the brain. That's not good for the body. You really want to be eating a little something every few hours. So you're nourishing your body on a more consistent basis. I know we've got this huge fad going on right now about intermittent fast. You know, <laughs> I was going to ask you that. And, like, and, you and, and, well, yes, because I go, many of the conferences I go to are integrative medicine for mental health. And there is a lot of research that's being presented about how much the brain actually does do well with intermittent fasting.
So it's it's not all bad. So I'm, you know, I I came from another world where we just really would not do that. But but with the research studies we're seeing, there's definitely um, there's definitely we're seeing, and and particularly I think that the other thing that we're seeing, and I think we saw this with COVID as well, is we saw that folks that were very high risk infected with COVID were a lot of people who were uh, overweight and obese that that put a lot of people at high risk. So when you're doing fasting, when the weight sort of remains kind of normal or a little bit below normal, what that does is it keeps the body in the most optimum shape and it doesn't allow you to pick up as many infections and things like that. So I, I'm I'm still watching. I think I'll still keep watching for the next two to three years because there's a part of this intermittent fasting that's like a fad. But I also mm-hmm. have seen studies in our conferences. I've seen studies that are showing that there's a lot of brain benefit with it. Yeah. Interesting. And when you mentioned like when you have a uh, someone come in who has ADHD and you look at the processed foods, let's say you change the diet. What what type of behavioral changes do you see with that change in, in simply diet? Oh my gosh, diet is so huge, especially especially if there's uh, processed foods and there's food colorings, because what will start to happen are uh, is the oppositionality, the pushback, the kids giving, the lack of focus, all of that starts to settle down. There's huge, huge changes. Like the parents will be like. We didn't even think that food was such a huge impact. But now that I think about it, you know, the minute he'd have a cookie or something, it seemed like he was flying off off, off the walls, you know? So so sugar in itself, particularly for people with ADHD brains, sugar is is a big neurotoxin. I think about sugar as a neurotoxin in that way. Can I ask you real quick? I, this might sound like really dumb, but what is the difference between ADD and ADHD? Yeah. So there's ADD, which is, there's two types of ADD. One is hyperactive type and the other one is inattentive type. So ADHD, the H stands for hyperactivity. And ADD is generally, we say that is with somebody who's inattentive. So inattentive type and incidentally, girls often tend, women and girls tend to have the inattentive type because they're, they look good. They're not hyperactive. They're not like all over the place. Boys tend to get detected much more easily because they're like disruptive in the classroom or things are going on. But the inattentive type is where you're listening, like the teacher's talking, but you've gone off and you're thinking about this and you're thinking about that. That's more the inattentive type. And that tends to not get, <laughs> and that tends to not get detected until like, older teenage years or maybe even when you go off to college so that's um, yeah okay so I so I was diagnosed with ADD when I was in college and I took a learning disability exam and I'm just going to be completely honest with you I went to Rutgers University and I lived with so many people and I I felt like 75% of my campus was taking Adderall and I was like oh my gosh I need Adderall to study like there's no way I can get through all these exams without Adderall so I was like looking up the symptoms for ADD and I went I was like I have this like I'm losing my keys every single day I'm losing my wallet I can't pay attention to anything so I went and I went through the whole process took like a learning disability exam and I was diagnosed with ADD and I was prescribed Adderall so I would take that pretty consistently to study um, but I just hated the way it made me feel so literally the, 
literally the day I graduated college, I never took it again. And as I was in my twenties, I would have friends who were taking Adderall and they'd be like, Christina, you need this. Like you have ADD, like this would really help you. And I was like, I just don't want to take them. I just don't want to take it. Like it mm-hmm. gives me anxiety. I felt like if I took Adderall, I wanted to smoke cigarettes and I didn't want to smoke yes. cigarettes. Like it was, yes. it made yes. me Yeah, it was a combination crazy. factor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But I really do feel like I'm struggling. And I also just had a child. So I have like, well, I keep saying mom brain. Um, so on top of everything, I'm like, oh my gosh, what can I do to help myself besides like the meditating and eating healthier, which I guess I do need to implement both of those, but it feels like I, I need more. And I think the more is the, uh, my primary reason for coming into the field of neurofeedback, because I was in a different, an, in another specialty. My primary reason for coming into the field of neurofeedback was my son's ADD. Okay. So my baby, uh, I have a book and I talk, talk about his story in the beginning. First grade, second grade, I'm like watching him in class. I can totally tell. I'm like, okay. So what would happen is the teacher would give them an assignment. Everybody would settle down. My little guy looks around the room and then he decides his pencil needs to be sharper now. <laughs> like you see, okay. Yeah. He gets up. He takes his pencil. Yeah. And because he's so sweet and adorable and charming, he walks through the entire classroom on his way to the sharpener, distracts everybody along the way, and then comes back like fifteen minutes later or ten minutes later to settle down into his room. So I saw that in first grade, and I knew that through elementary, he was. I, I knew that just with my background, I knew we were going to be okay, that teachers will somehow manage it and, and he won't get labeled very negatively or anything like that. And that because his personality right. was so striking, he was going to be able to compensate for it. But I knew after right. middle school, it was going to become a challenge. So I had a friend who had um, gotten into the world of neurofeedback and then she started mm-hmm. her kids on neurofeedback and she was raving about it. And this is when my son was in sixth grade. So what I did is I took my son to her for a whole year before I started incorporating neurofeedback into my own practice here. So the 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 big the thing that you can um, the thing that you can definitely do is uh, uh, find and and I'll help and I'm always open to helping people find good neurofeedback practitioners because like Mm-hmm. And there are specific regions in the brain. So I'll be doing C3, C4, and then I have some sites on, on this left side that I'll do. And then there's a PZ because notice how what probably happens for you, even before you had the baby, is like around 8 o'clock at night or 7 or 8 p.m. or after all that, do you get a huge burst of energy in the evening? Is that what happens for you? Yeah. Like you, you wake yeah. up at night, right? You want to get everything done when Mm -hmm. darkness comes on yeah so that's like an inattentive add brain tends to function like that where all their creative spurts come at night but so i came into the world of neurofeedback via my son and his add and it has been treated so successfully he's just graduating berkeley right now i mean he's doing really wonderful he's got his full-time job he focuses and you're right because what adderall makes you feel like you're on speed because you are on speed it is the type yeah. of speed you're on right and then it it messes i was going to use a bad word but it messes with your appetite uh, i'm known to do that so it messes with your appetite you can use whatever words you want <laughs> Oh, it fucks with your appetite. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. 
And then it yeah, makes you want to smoke and then it makes you want to do all this. And then your body image kind of shifts around and you start to feel like, okay, I can't keep my weight down unless I'm on my Adderall. So it really messes mm-hmm. up our normal metabolic activity. But neurofeedback is like the extra thing you can definitely do. The other thing that I've had some of my patients do that are even maybe not even doing neurofeedback is um, like about 10... 10 minutes of something vigorous, like uh, uh, aerobic activity, like jumping jacks or something like that first thing in the morning, that'll kind of wake your brain up. It's going to give your brain a bit of that dopamine rush. And when that brain gets that, then it's going to start pumping in some of your uh, chemicals that allow you to focus a little bit better for the day. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. I'll have yeah. to try that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So interesting because like with the whole, a lot of what you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, Christine, <laughs> like with at night, but then it's like sleep is mm-hmm. so important. So it's like this like yes. cycle of like, cause I know Christina is like, you're up, like you don't sleep very much and you just had a baby. So that's also a factor, but even before that, so it's like this cycle mm-hmm. of like yeah. how, oh my gosh, it's, I'm sure so frustrating. I mean, even last night I was literally up. I didn't go to sleep until midnight and then I was up from like three till six thirty, and I finally fell back to sleep at six thirty until eight. So I'm like just in zombie mode for like a year straight over that. And I feel like even longer. So I just feel like I can't like catch up and I'm, I almost feel like I'm, I'm like surviving. Do you know what I mean? I know, sweetheart. I understand. I know. I I get like emotional talking about it because I do feel like I feel like I I might joke around about mom brain, right? But like it's super serious, and to like, and to feel like you're struggling. Yes, yes. And it's like it's easy to play off as a joke. Oh, like oh, I can't think straight. But like, I really can't think straight. I feel like I can't complete sentences sometimes. I can't complete thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I just got yeah. so emotional, but I think it's no. Also, hard it's very hard christina it's hard because you can tell that every step of the way you're efforting more than you need to effort to just survive and not even thrive Mm -hmm. but just survive yeah yeah Yeah. and on top of it um alzheimer's and dementia runs in my family Uh both of my both of my grandmother struggles from it really badly so that is something that's always on top of mind and like I'm concerned for me I'm concerned for my parents and I'm like always trying to think of like what can so like with that even said like is there anything that I could be doing like long term to try and prevent that is there things that I can be making my parents do to prevent Mm -hmm. that because just seeing it the way it affected my grandparents and like seeing the way the trickle down effect because you know alzheimer's and dementia affects everyone in the family like what are things that people can be doing to prevent that so for me the biggest one and even for you this would be big too just because of what's going on for you how old is your baby christina uh he's almost five months five months okay so he's five months old so so you're in such the beginning stage of like adjusting to motherhood figuring out does my body belong to me or does my body belong to him and he took it over for so long Mm -hmm. anyway and then now he's out there but he's still here and you know until they begin to become a little bit more independent we just feel so like like symbiotic with that child in so many ways so it doesn't even feel like your body feels like your own you know and I think that's the part of for a lot of new moms, it's hard. And particularly if you tend to have that ADD brain, then what will start to happen is you start a project and you don't finish it and you start 
start another project and you don't finish it. And then if you're with a baby at home and the baby interrupts you and you have to feed them and you do this, it's like everything just feels like this one royal, you know, merry-go-round that goes on. So, so yeah. You just like explained my entire history, Dot. I get it. I so get it. I so get it. And I think one of the best gifts you could really give yourself, and I don't know if you do this or not, I always yell at my new moms because it's very important for you to take a nap when the baby is taking a nap. Yeah. Because you think you'll get a lot of because that's when I can do work. Exactly what I was thinking is you think you can get a lot of shit done while he's sleeping, but that's your time. Yeah. Even if you don't fall asleep and you just lie down in bed, what you're doing is you're shifting the brainwave activity. From uh, see, what happens is when we're when we have an ADD brain, there's a particular brainwave pattern called delta that tends to be very excessive. We want to bring down the delta, and you want to bring in more of the SMR and more of the beta. When you when you just even when he's napping and you just lie down, you're actually reducing your delta with the rest that you're giving your brain, so that when you do wake up, when he wakes up, even if you don't fall asleep, when you do get up, you're actually giving yourself more of the focus brain waves. So then you, whatever you start, then you're more likely going to be able to complete it, and then you'll feel better when you can do that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Right? Yeah, yeah. And activity, physical activity is always very good for regulating our whole body. So, you know, whether you go for a really brisk walk or you go, you know, hand him over to somebody and say, I'm just going to be gone for half an hour and then go do something for you just for half an hour. I think as a new mom, just getting those half an hour times are very important for you, you know? Yeah. And Absolutely. so coming to like your question about Alzheimer's and dementia and linking Rianne back up with what you talked about with sleep, like it seems like Christina just never seems to sleep. So mm -hmm. one of one of the biggest preventative things we can do, two things, two things we can do to prevent dementia and Alzheimer's is regular consistent sleep sleep is the biggest thing that that we can do and the second one is 30 to 40 minutes of consistent exercise three to three to five times a week so mm -hmm. three to five times a week of 30 to, and, and i i usually say 30 to 40 minutes of exercise because there's a region in the brain here called the hippocampus the hippocampus in the brain is this beautiful region in the brain. The hippocampus in the brain is where new neurons are made. Okay. So that is one of the most important parts of the brain because that's where birth of new neurons happens. When we sleep at night, uh, all the neurons in the brain, we have 350 billion neurons in the brain. Okay. All the neurons in the brain shrink. And the cerebrospinal fluid from the base of the brain kind of flushes through the brain and cleanses all the toxins out from the brain. Stress creates toxins in the brain. Smoking creates toxins in the brain. Any medications we take creates toxins in the brain. Sugar creates toxins in the brain. So the sleep is our cleansing time for the brain. So people who sleep very regularly and consistently will tend to have brains that function very 
optimally in the daytime. Mm-hmm. And an optimum functioning brain is a brain that can adapt from one situation to another, doesn't get fixed on one thing and kind of get stuck on that one thing. And that, you know, brain that can be resilient, where shit happens and you're like, okay, shit happened. What am I going to do next now? Kind of a thing, you know, so that optimum brain, but rest is a very, because think about it. Sleep is sleep. Sleep is what gets rid of uh, toxicity from our brain. So sleep, so that's why mm-hmm. even when you take that little rest in the daytime, that would be good for your brain. That's just incredibly good right. for you. And what happens when we exercise 35 to 40 minutes a day is uh, the hippocampus produces new neurons. Um, and and new, uh, the hippocampus is also the seat of the memory. And remember when people develop, start to develop Alzheimer's or dementia, they start to forget things a lot. So memory People who exercise regularly also tend to have really good memory. Mm-hmm. So memory is what you want to strengthen. And memory, and so you know what's happened for us? Like, look at us right now. I don't remember phone numbers anymore now, right? Because they're mm-hmm. all in my phone. So we don't have these things like, you know, we rely on our GPS to take us places. We don't remember, oh, yeah, that was the third street on the right, or it's like four miles on the road. We don't remember a lot of those daily, daily types of things because we become so reliant on technology telling us where to go, technology remembering things for us. So any brain exercises that we can do that are memory, like there are different things you can do, crossword puzzles are really good for preventing dementia and Alzheimer's learning new vocabulary words just pick up like 10 new vocabulary words you want to learn the the research has shown one of the best things we can do for prevention of dementia is after age 60 i'm like 62 after age 60 if you pick up a new language you push Mm -hmm. dementia away completely because then you're exercising different parts of your brain anything you exercise different parts of your brain is what prevents dementia and I, I think that comes back to like thinking of the brain as a muscle that yeah. you're trying to work out and exercise because I think when you put it in that context, it definitely yeah. helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I do want to ask you about anxiety and depression because yeah. I think more, uh, especially like you know, the younger generation and this year, last year, 2020. <laughs> whoa, baby. How is that? Because I know I saw in one of your YouTube videos, these things are, you say, brain con- conditions, correct? Yes, can you talk, yes. Can you talk to me about that? Because I've never thought about that in that way. I know. I know. It's so funny. Because Pranaz, Pranaz is my person who had contacted you guys and we set it up. Yeah. Pranaz was like, Dr. K, remember to talk about brain conditions because that's like my thing. That's like my signature thing because we have so much stigma about mental illness. We have so much Mm -hmm. stigma about addictions. We have so much stigma about autism. You know, we have stigma. And when we all know when there's any kind of stigma about it around anything, then we're less likely to get the right kind of help for it or seek the right right, uh, support we need for it. And it's so important to think about anxiety, depression, OCD, uh, ADHD, all of those things as brain conditions because it's really a brain that's not in its most optimum state, right? The reason you have anxiety is because if you have kind of like that ruminative thing where you're very obsessive and something latches on and you're just like running with it, 
and you start to have panic attacks or different things like that, all that kind of sits in the left brain and in our temporal regions. So when I do the neurofeedback, particularly anybody who's having panic attacks, I place one sensor here and one sensor here. And literally, I've seen patients after six or eight sessions not have panic attacks anymore. Okay, now you tell me. Does that have to be like a freaking condition they have to live with for the rest of their lives? No. We just came in there, we re-stimulated their brain, we did a reset on the brain, and they're no longer having panic attacks. So to me, that's a brain condition. That's not a mental health condition. Okay. If someone's struggling with depression, would you say your treatment of would be in condition in addition to going to therapy? Do all these things work together? Because I feel like so, therapy uh, is like the new, it's like you. Uh, we should all be going to therapy, especially, I mean, I started going to therapy last year because I was having some anxiety and uh, stuff. So yeah. I'm just curious yeah. to hear your take on that. So, so, so psychotherapy combined with neurofeedback combined with lifestyle changes is like your most optimum com- combination, right? Your anxiety is going to get better if you get better sleep because then your brain rests better. And in psychotherapy, you're going to learn about like some breathing techniques. So you're going to learn about, you know, your the way in which your mind might be catastrophizing things or certain cognitive beliefs you might have established in the back of your mind. So when I'm doing neurofeedback, I'm often talking with people about the brain and the mind. So those are like, I put them in two different states. So what you're doing, Rianne, in psychotherapy is you're working on issues related to the mind, like your view on the world, uh, what belief systems are embedded in you, what's going on for you. When I'm working with the brain, I'm actually working with this organ, this beautiful little, lovely little organ that I just adore so much. So you're working with the brain and I'm teaching the brain, I'm coaching the brain to not go offline as much as it may want to go offline. And sometimes the mind is what can make the brain go offline. So that's why psychotherapy works really well because you're coaching your mind to not go offline so much. And then I have a shit ton of patients who have gone to lots and lots of psychotherapy who don't want to do psychotherapy anymore and they come to me here for neurofeedback and things shift for them in a way in which they never shifted in psychotherapy because I'm working at the brain level because some of the things that they've got going on are very biologically driven. They're like brain driven. There's a genetic component. So when I do my assessment for neurofeedback, I really look at the genetic history of the person. What comes, do we have anxiety from mom's side of the family? Do we have depression from dad's side of the family? Is there alcoholism in the family? Because then we know that there's a certain type of a brain that has come through within your family pipe. Yeah. What, what question came to your mind, Ria? What are you thinking? Oh, I was just, no, I was just thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm, re, I'm rewinding because I keep thinking about Christina because I feel like we, earlier when you opened up, Christina, I just feel like you kind of had, like, this is so important. And as you're saying, like, if a new patient comes to you and I'm, I'm backtracking a little bit, but like, I'm yeah. just in thinking about, okay, if Christina came to you, as a patient like what would be your plan of attack for her to help her because i can just see like how it is like weighing on her and like um yeah. 
and it's obviously like I think it was really good for her to just like release that as we were talking to you um it was like it I was, feel like Christine, <laughs> I was like oh my god you've been holding on to that and I can't I can't get it off my mind so I'm I'm backtracking but I guess as your approach what would you if Christina was your patient what would you be like here's our plan I think I definitely and I've been holding on to that for like I feel like oh. a decade oh my sweetheart oh and again I want you to feel hope I, I really you know mm -hmm. when we have these brain conditions we can start to feel so discouraged I kid you not mm -hmm. we can start to feel like oh maybe nothing will ever change I'm, I'm stuck with this brain this is how my brain is going to be it's just like you know and there's just so much change that can be brought about and my plan of attack would be I know exactly what regions of the brain I would work with you on I, I'm not going to ask a lot of personal questions about family genetic history or anything but I asked my initial assessment is about two hours so I ask a lot of questions about uh, uh, emotional traumas that might have occurred physical traumas I'm always looking at brain injuries concussions because you won't believe how frequently when because, you know, you go to college, you get drunk, you get shit-faced, you might fall, you may, you know, all kinds of things happen. And there are so many college students who've had concussions, not because they've played a sport or anything, mm -hmm. but because they might have fallen or something happened, and they never remember that. And if you think about depression, anxiety, all of those coming from the neurons in the brain getting all jangled up, Imagine what a concussion is going to do to the brain, right? So I'm always looking in my assessment. I'm always looking at history of brain injuries, head injuries, concussions, those kinds of things. Because a person could have had a, what they thought wasn't a concussion. Like they just hit the car door on their head and, they, and they're like, oh, that's not a concussion. But it could have been a concussion, but we just don't know that. So I'm usually looking at that. So so I would be looking at truly the person's um background, their history, what's occurred for them, and then start the neurofeedback. And our, our patients come for neurofeedback two times a week. And the reason I do, I have some who come three times a week, but the reason I do twice a week is because the brain is like this little, little, little guy who, or little girl who's decided, oh, I kind of like being this way. And I'm nudging the brain to like go a different way. And the brain likes to push back around the third or the fourth session. It'll kind of push back a little bit and go, no, I'm good. Why are you coming in here and fucking me? I'm good. That kind of a thing. But so, so, you know, twice a week is most optimum because then you feel the change. Like you feel the change, you can feel like your sleep will resume. I would really focus on figuring out ways to get Christina to you for you to start to be able to go down for the night. Is is he still waking up a lot at night? Are you being woken no, up? He's actually been sleeping. Through, he's been sleeping through the night. But like yeah. I said, like as soon as he goes to sleep, and I really sometimes like almost my day doesn't start until eight p.m. Because it's like when he goes to sleep, I'm like, oh my gosh, amazing. But you know, I just thought of that you, what you said. Yeah. You, there are so many things that you're right that trigger the brain or things that have happened. Like I had a pacemaker put in when I was 20 years old and my pacemaker failed twice. I had three pacemakers put in within four years. And when it was failing, I had, um, this is probably like people who are listening and be like, okay, this is like Christina's therapy session, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, the leads weren't connecting to my heart. What the lead wasn't pro put in properly, and what was happening was I was literally blacking out. Sometimes, like thirty times a day, where I would black out for a couple seconds and come back into it, and it would be like I was so close. I 
almost pass out, but it's so hard to even explain. Yeah. But this happened to me for years, years on and off. And it, it came to the point where I was like, I need to do something about it. One, I, one time I almost like revoked my own driver's license because I was driving on the Gospels yeah. Bridge and I had an episode where I blasted out on the bridge driving. And it was the scariest moment of my life. But, but I never thought about that in relation to how that could affect my brain. I just think about those nights where I blacked out all throughout college, to be honest with you, which probably didn't help yeah. either. Same girl, yeah. same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which, which I think that like all my friends, it was just a joke. Oh, everyone would just black out every single week, night of every weekend and not even think about it. And everyone jokes around about it on social media. Like, I feel like it's kind of just like a funny thing, but like, it's really not funny. One shot of tequila. Granted, mm-hmm. we have a shit ton of neurons in the brain, and if we exercise, we increase the number of neurons in the brain. One shot of tequila kills five thousand neurons in the brain. Doctor K, I don't want to tell you how many shots of tequila I had last weekend. I don't want. To- <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Wow. So alcohol is a huge toxin for the brain. Alcohol is a big toxin for the brain. Mm-hmm. All right, but what about if you were drinking four or five times a week for four years straight? I know. And, drinking and, what, and you know what? A lot of people do that. But here's the good news. There's a word that I use that I always want people to know. The word is called neuroplasticity. Okay? Neuroplasticity means that the brain is incredibly capable of becoming healthy at any point in its life. Oh, 92-year-olds can grow lots of new neurons provided they give that most optimum state to their brain. So th- just because you've hit past our 20s or whatever, it doesn't mean the brain's going to keep dying now and, and we've really you know, screwed okay. it over completely. No. Okay, so I didn't totally talk to no, there's a lot of hope. No, there's a lot of hope. And that's okay. where eating good nutritious foods, exercising regularly, uh, meditation increases the amount of neurons that the hippocampus grows. That's one of the other benefits of meditation. Is increases the you know there were the the cabbies um, the the cabbies who drive those black taxis in London. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you know they never used to have they would they had those maps that they used to look at, but they never had like um, GPSs or anything. But they knew all the roads of. London incredibly well and the roads of London are like all over the place right you can never figure them out and they know those roads cabbies who had driven those cabs for 30 years or more when they scanned the brains of those cabbies they had some of the most healthiest hippocampuses right because they memorized all those roads so much and those guys never got Alzheimer's or dementia. It was huge, the impact that memorization has on the brain. So even if you're just, you know, memorizing, like like you might start memorizing a poem. You just said, this is a poem I want to memorize. You know, find Rupi Kaur's poems and read one of her poems and just memorize it or something like that. And just say to yourself, no, I want to work on that because that's going to be the growth of my brain. And then if he's sleeping through the night, my darling, I want you to be able to start figuring out ways you can turn in here earlier at night. And and we want to start having really good sleep routines. There's a thing called sleep hygiene that we talk about. The way we get our face ready, 
to go to bed for the night, there's a sleep hygiene. You want to start turning down the lights. You want to reduce the stimulation. You don't want to have caffeine past two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. A whole bunch of different. <laughs> Christina's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I literally, I literally had an espresso almost like every day at four or five p.m. But that could be keeping you up too. That could be keeping you up. Yeah, so I also feel like I can't survive. So, so, so if you have it at four, start having it at three, and then switch it over to two. You know, just right. small baby steps. I'm always big about right. tiny baby steps. Like I said, five minutes yeah. of meditation. That's doable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness, so many good things. Oh my gosh, I'm like, I feel like I could talk to you for like all day long. There's one one question I wanted to ask. Um, are migraines related to brain health? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So you want to think about a migraine and and some people for some people migraines come after they've had head injuries and for others migraines come genetically through the family. So a lot of my patients they say, "Oh yeah, my mom always had migraines or my dad always had migraines." So when it's coming through the genetic pike, if there's somebody in the family that has had migraines, then we know it's more like a uh, an endemic thing, it's coming within your genetic pipe. And neurofeedback treats migraines very, very successfully. So we have set regions. And I always tell my patients, I think about migraines kind of like in my neurofeedback world, I describe migraines as like mini seizures in the brain because the impact mm. that a migraine has, you know, you light sensitivity, people become nauseated, you throw up. I mean, all of that means that the brain is doing something pretty gnarly within itself, right? Mm-hmm. And then why, why would brain training not shift that around? Yeah. I have one patient who's mm-hmm. been coming faithfully probably for the last three, four years. She comes once every three weeks and we have one set region we do for her and it's 35 minutes in that region and that's it. And she's not on any meds. She's on the lowest dosage of one of her migraine meds, lowest dosage possible. But that has, keeps all her migraines at bay. She doesn't get any migraines. And she has kept it three, every three-week schedule because she knows if she takes it longer than that, then it might pop in. So we just did that. Wow. Dr. Kakaya, are there any medications? Well, what's your overall thought on medication in general? Like, do you just suggest taking as little as possible? Is Tylenol here and there okay? Or like, or do you not take anything? No, I think, I think that if we, if there's, you know, if you're having headaches and, uh, and, and different things, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. If we try to suffer in pain, that's worse for our body. It's better to take something and, and soothe yourself. That's fine. I think that if you find yourself taking a lot of Tylenol, for example, then you might want to say, what's the underlying thing that's going on? Because a lot of times, and I think especially because of with your pacemaker and what had happened, there might have been like moments when your brain did not have as much oxygen as it needed. And Mm -hmm. so that's the thing that neurofeedback does is we're actually stimulating the brain for the brain to receive more oxygen into it, right? So when the brain gets more oxygen, then that means the brain becomes that much more healthier. And I treat headaches a lot. I treat stomach aches a lot because some of my regions are very specifically oriented towards like really calming down the 
energy, like people who tend to have, you know, spurts of energy in the day versus like even energy. There's certain regions we go to just for that. So again, keep in mind that the brain is the CEO of the whole body. And whether you have any brain conditions or not, whether you have anxiety or not, whether you have depression or not, whether you have ADHD or not, neurofeedback can be that preventative thing or a, a form of self-care, just as you would go and do your Pilates class. You could go and do neurofeedback mm-hmm. as a way to optimize the brain. You don't have to have any brain conditions that are off in order for you to go into neurofeedback. Just say, I have a, one of my colleagues, uh, is he was 89 years old. He's like, you know, I'm pretty healthy. I walk regularly. He gardens. He's got a good group of friends. And he's like, but I, I kind of want to come in and just, give my brain a little extra lift. And he wakes up, because he's 89 years old, he wakes up multiple times in the night. And and then he says, well, the only thing I would think could be that maybe I could sleep through the night or something like that. So he did about 20 sessions. And even now, and this is like three years later, uh, when I run into him in my Rotary Club, he's like, well, he says, I never knew at this age that it was possible for me to sleep through the night. What I also didn't know is that I had this little underlying anxiety that was there. And now I feel so much more calmer. This is like 89 years old when he'd come in. He hadn't come in because he he didn't have dementia. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He just wanted like, what what is it that you do? I want to come try that for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just have to ask you. So when you're doing this, I know you, have you seen the movie Zoolander? Uh, No, I have not. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's a part in Zoolander where, oh, you have to watch it. It's okay. hilarious. Okay. Okay. Uh, ben Stiller. I did. <laughs> um, anyways, they're doing this like, they're doing this like a psychotherapy on him where they put these like sensors on his brain and they're teaching him, they're like manipulating his brain and hypnotizing him almost, right? To like kill the prime minister of Malaysia, I think oh, that's what it is. Lord, and anyway, so that's kind of like what I'm envisioning. I don't. I obviously know you don't do this, but is it through sound waves or like you're putting sensors? Like what? Is, what is that exactly is happening? So the sensors are these little tiny sensors, and I have two uh, uh, ground. So I, I often have a ground here and a ground there, and then okay. one sensor will be here. One might be here. And so basically for T3, T4, that's where the sensors would be. That's it. I've placed the sensors. You're not wearing a red cap or you might see some pictures of neurofeedback where it's the big cap. I don't do the cap-based neurofeedback. Mine is a different kind. You're sitting on the chair. You're facing a screen. On the screen, there is this... uh, these tunnels beautifully created like visuals. It's almost like you're gaming. You drive this mm-hmm. spaceship through a tunnel and it's got all these eng- roar coming out of the engine and there's a monkey on your lap. The faster you drive the spaceship and you're doing this with your mind, with your brain, not your mind, you're doing it with your brain. The faster the spaceship goes, the more the monkey buzzes. So you're getting tactile stimulation. Yeah, tactile stimulation visual and auditory because there's music coming up. The whole thing is going through with uh, there's music in the tunnel. So I'm using auditory, visual and tactile stimulation to rewire your brain. That's what I'm doing. Oh my God. And it's fun. Like so much and fun though too. You're sitting, <laughs> and you're sitting there and, and some of my patients tell me like I saw a patient yesterday and he was like, whoa, this tunnel feels like I'm on an 
on a mushroom trip right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking when you were describing that. <laughs> I know, I know. And so, I was like, this sounds familiar. But, but the visuals, the visuals are really amazing. I mean, the visuals are beautiful. And so what happens is, you know, of course, when I have my competitive, like, my, especially my teenage boys who are like these gamers, first of all, their hands want to twitch because they're dying to do something with their hands, right? So I'm not, you know, th- that's the part that it takes them a bit of time to get used to that. But what happens is that um, they start to compete with themselves. They're like, okay, what do I need to do to make it go faster? And it's the brain that's doing the work. So it takes a bit of time. It takes about one or two sessions before, and my patients will never be able to describe to me what it is that they do in their brain that makes them make Mm -hmm. that spaceship go as fast. They don't have words to describe it. So what that tells me is the mind is not at play. It's the brain that's doing the work. And when the brain latches on, the spaceship goes really fast. So and then you leave and you feel you feel very exhausted because I always tell people, make sure you eat in a snack before you come to neurofeedback and have some food in the car with you and hydrate yourself well because the brain has done so much exercise. So it's going to be exhausted when you leave. And then about an hour later, you get your energy back again and everything like that. So it's really good exercise for the brain. I mean, neurofeedback is I'm so passionate about it because it's a, such an amazing alternative to medications. Oh, I wish that you were based in LA because I'd want to come see you like every single day. <laughs> I know. I was like, Christina, I think we maybe need to go take a, a weekly trip down to San Diego to do no, Seriously. Um, but this is so, the, I think the main thing I'm taking away from this conversation with you is like, we exercise our bodies. We buy good yes. food. We, yes. if we need self-care, we'll, we'll do our skin care. Right. We'll go get a massage. But like, this is another thing that you can do and add into your routine just like maybe you go see a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whatever. Yes. Like this is another thing that is taking care of yourself. And I, I would be so interested. I'm not, I'm sad you're not in LA to see how like, I'm like, Christina needs to be our, go and be our yeah. um, mm-hmm. guinea pig. But like, I would just be so interested. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you have had yeah. such great success with your clients, but this is, that's just how I'm seeing it. I'm like, we do all of these mm-hmm. things to take care of our mind, body mm-hmm. and spirit. And this is just another great tool and resource to do that. And if you think about it, our mind, body, and spirit are the ones that are being driven by our brain. And why are we Mm -hmm. neglecting the brain? I mean, the brain deserves this. Why not be nice to the brain, you know? Yeah, I feel like the brain deserves it more and more. And it it just makes me so mad that all these years growing up, we've been taught to like eat healthy so we're thin, so our bodies look good, so our skin looks good. But no one's like, so your mind is sharp? Like, what? That's probably the most important thing of all. Yeah, so I mean, thank you so much. Honestly, this was so valuable. Sorry I cried to you. No, never, never, <laughs> never apologize for our feelings. We do not. I'm glad you could right, right, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you let it out. That was necessary for you to do. And and, and now it's made yeah. you have a different perspective on your 100%. brain health. On your yeah. brain health. And that's the most. And, and a big thing that's important is for us to have compassion towards ourselves, you know, because mm-hmm. we do so much as women. God, we multitasking so much and we need to be able to have compassion and kindness towards ourselves and that's one of the best gifts we give to the brain absolutely thank you so much we really appreciate your time and your knowledge so when i come back to the west coast i think i'm gonna have to come down and see you sounds good i'm gonna have to do a family trip to san diego (laughs) sounds lovely yes let's meet for sure let's meet for sure yeah Thank you so much, Dr. Kataya. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. This was so enlightening and helpful, and we appreciate you. 
Yeah, and if someone wanted to come see you, please, your clinic, um, tell us yes. about your clinic and where they can find you. So my, my clinic is Healthy Within and my Instagram is at Healthy Within Neurofeedback at Healthy Within Neurofeedback. That's where they'll find me. And my clinic is in San Diego and they can email me. My email is on my website and, and they can reach out to me. We have a Twitter and we have Facebook and we have all the social media. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to link everything in the show notes for you okay. as well. But thank you again and we hope you have an amazing rest of your day. You guys are sweethearts. Thank you. You take care. Okay. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes on our website, theconfidentcollective.com and find us on Instagram at Confident Collective. And if you really loved what you heard, screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it in your stories and don't forget to tag us. 